Hello and welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. On this episode, our senior pastor, Perry Duggar, is leading us into a message about Jesus being the Good Shepherd. If you want to watch the video of this message or listen to this week's worship, you can do so on our website, brookwoodchurch.org, or you can find all of that and much more on our Brookwood Church app. We pray that this message encourages you in your walk with Christ. to our series today, Who is Jesus? And it's interesting, sometimes if someone asks us, well, who are you? We may say something, but we might not actually be accurate. You know what I'm saying? We may say what we think is true. We may say what we hope is true. We may say what we hope other people think is true. But Jesus knows himself fully. And so when he speaks... He speaks accurately, clearly, comprehensively. So Jesus described himself using seven metaphors from the book of John. And from those metaphors, we learn the identity, the personality, the character, and the purpose of Jesus. We just examine and consider the word pictures that he uses to portray himself. Now he introduces each of these images with what sacred phrase? And what does that mean in Hebrew? Or what does it sound like? It's Yahweh, it's, it's God's personal name, but it's a sacred phrase that Jews did not ever speak. They, didn't, they wouldn't even read it. And so we don't know how it's truly pronounced because there are no vowels in Hebrew. So we, but we do know that it's Y-H-W-H, and I told you that was the Tetragrammaton. The first time that God identified himself that way was in Exodus 3, verse 14, when he told Moses his personal name so that Moses would know whom he was representing when he went to confront the Pharaoh. Today, we focus on two of Jesus' images or word pictures or illustrations. Those are all kind of synonymous that are taken from chapter 10. And you can see there on your message guide, the first two panels are your outline, of course. He actually uses two in that chapter. He says, I am the gate for the sheep, which is John 2 at verse 2, but, but also at verse 9, and I am the good shepherd, which is John 10 verse 11, but also verse 14. So he repeats both of those twice. Now let me, let me look, um, let's look at the setting a bit. In John chapter 9, if you want to turn there. And John chapter 9 is found at eight, page 861 in this Bible that we sell. Now, the reason we're, we're looking sometimes at the context or the setting is because it informs us about what Jesus is talking about. You know, we're so focused on the chapters of the Bible and the verses of the Bible that sometimes we don't see it as one continuous story or one narrative. But in reality, the chapters were not ever written down until the 1200s and the verses weren't until the 1400s. So the Bible originally had neither chapter nor verse. In chapter nine, Jesus 
performed a healing. He healed a blind man, which is something, a miracle that people expected to see when the Messiah arrived. And this particular man, he healed his blindness with what? Mud. How did he make the mud? He spit, real sanitary. So Jesus made spit, I mean, made mud by spitting on the dirt. And then he rubbed it in the guy's eyes. And then he sent him to the pool at Siloam to wash. Now the religious leaders, the Pharisees, were not impressed by the miracle at all. In fact, they doubted the miracle truly occurred. They challenged the man on whether he was really blind and all of that. But they also said that this man couldn't be from God because he performed this miracle on the Sabbath. They weren't impressed at all by the miracle. They were concerned about what they considered to be breaking the rules. Now, Jesus responded to them at the end of chapter 9, at verse, beginning at verse 39. Then Jesus told him, and that's the man who was born blind, whose vision had been restored. I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind and to show those who think they see that they are blind. Now some Pharisees, they had real thin skin who were standing nearby, heard him and asked, are you saying we're blind? If you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, Jesus replied, but you remain guilty because you claim you can see. And that brings us to today's passage. Now he's dealing with sheep. Let me give you a little background about sheep in case you've never been exposed to them. Sheep need protection. They're not aggressive. And did you know that sheep have no top teeth? You knew that. Did you raise sheep? You did. They have no incisors. They do have kind of a bite plate like a cow. So they can gnaw, but they don't have any sharp teeth. They can't tear and pull. So they can't really bite. Now they can run, but they're not really fast. And so the only thing they can do to express their frustration or for self-defense is, yeah, <laughs> you did raise sheep. They can butt you with their heads. And some of you say, it sounds like somebody I know. <laughs> sheep are not good foragers. Goats are. You can turn goats loose and they'll thrive. But sheep, can't find food, they can't find water, so they have to be fed and watered or they have to be herded to a place where grass and water are available. Now, I don't wanna offend you here, but sheep aren't very smart. And they stumble into perilous situations and they need rescue quite often. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? that those animals are the ones that Jesus compared to, to us. Look at Matthew 9. When he saw the crowds, he, Jesus, had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. So we want to see these two images. We're going to break them down. First, the gate for the sheep, 
First, it prevents deception. Now in warm weather, sheep would often be taken to the pasture and they would stay overnight. Now the shepherds would remain with them. Now where do we see that happening another time in the scripture? When? Birth of Jesus. Perhaps David, he certainly fought uh, animals, but the shepherds were, remember what it said, keeping watch over their flocks by night outside of Bethlehem. And um, I've been to Bethlehem and there is an open area hillside where many, many flocks of sheep are gathered and there's some grass for grazing. Since sheep are susceptible to attack by wild animals or theft by humans, they would be herded into enclosures that were made from stones or mud or sticks. And these enclosures would have a small opening into which the shepherd would drive the sheep at nightfall. Jesus began his discussion of sheep and shepherds by focusing on the threat posed, not by wild animals, not by bears or wolves, but by wicked humans. John chapter 10, verse one. I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The shepherd would come through the opening. The sheep stealers would climb over the wall to take advantage in an illegal fashion. Verse three, the gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he's gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. Those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant. So they, he explained it to them. I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. In this depiction, God is likely the gatekeeper. But now understand, this is a parable. Jesus is using a story to teach spiritual principles. And in a parable, it's not necessary to identify every figure, every person, or every reference. It appears that it represents God who brought Jesus the shepherd in through the correct, the proper way. But you don't, you don't have to figure out every issue. But the ones that Jesus identifies, we need to think about. And so Jesus identifies himself as both the shepherd and the gate. Now the thieves and robbers were likely these same religious leaders, these Pharisees. But it could have also represented some of these early false messiahs who came represented themselves as the Messiah from God but they were liars. These Pharisees 
claimed that they came to care for God's people. But in reality, they were exploiting, they were misleading, they were misusing them. And these are the very people that Jesus addressed at the end of chapter 9. These Pharisees were teachers of the law. They were the experts in the scripture. The people, you know, were largely illiterate and certainly didn't own copies of the scripture. So these Pharisees, they were dependent on the Pharisees to tell them what they should do to, to relate to God. But these Pharisees were thieves because they were stealing the people's peace because they were telling them that to please God, they, they had to obey these complicated and oppressive rules and regulations. And most of them weren't even in the scripture. They had volumes of interpretations of how to keep the law. And so the, the, the people were always feeling guilty and they were always told how they were displeasing God. And so they were being robbed of their security of knowing that they were accepted by God by grace. So they lived in constant fear of God's disapproval, of his rejection, of his punishment. We encounter thieves as well, and we have robbers around. We encounter thieves when we're deceived by people who tell us we must comply with a long list of rules to satisfy God. Well, who are you talking about? Well, it might be someone you work with. It might be someone on television. It might be some so-called Bible teacher or pastor. And when you start hearing that stuff, learn how to use the off switch. I mean, quit listening to that stuff. This summer, we'll be studying Galatians. Each summer, we try to survey a book of the New Testament. And Galatians deals with the difference between law and grace. And do we live by grace or do we live according to the law? We, we also can be robbed of our security when we're deluded into believing that we must deserve God's acceptance through our behavior. So we live with guilt and fear. And some of you are there right now. The gate for the sheep, you see, prevents this deception by calling his sheep. Jesus calls his sheep and the voice is familiar. So the sheep can recognize that it's Jesus' voice they're hearing and they'll respond. But they also can recognize the stranger's voice. You know what I'm talking about here? And you shouldn't listen and you shouldn't follow. And you know what? Christ's sheep won't. Sometimes we feel guilty. We need to be listening. We need, no, no, no. You have the Holy Spirit within you to tell you to confirm truth, to bring conviction. And if what you're hearing sounds foreign, what do you do? Run, <laughs> turn it off. And let me tell you this. You've heard me say this before. If I say something that, that strikes you as foreign and it's not supported by the scripture, you set it aside. You switch it off. So it's the spirit of God speaking to you God's truth. And that's what I seek to do always. 
but you listen to the spirit in you. So you, what about you? Are you being deceived today into doubting that you truly belong to God? The gate for the sheep produces salvation. Now, the opening of the sheepfold, even though it says gate or some translations say door, they didn't have wooden doors or wooden gates. They didn't have much wood. They didn't have timber lying around to fashion these kinds of things they would then throw away. Remember, we've looked at this over and over at Christmas when we discovered that the stable wasn't a wooden frame building. It was more likely a cave or it was cut into a limestone hillside. And the manger was either dug in the floor or dug into the side. They just didn't have lumber like this. So instead, the shepherd became the gate because the shepherd would lie across the entrance to the pen so that no intruder, human or animal, could enter without his knowledge. John 10, 9, Jesus says, yes, I am the gate. And those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. Just as there was only one opening for the sheep to enter, there's only one entrance into eternity. One way to be saved passing through the gate. It's the only way the gatekeeper allows through Jesus, who is the gate. And this word saved, it's a familiar word to us, but do we know what it means? Saved from what? What'd you say? Come on y'all, some of y'all say it and then you hide your face, so I don't. (laughs) Say it louder. Saved from outsiders. Well, that's certainly true in this story as well. But somebody yelled, saved from sin. And and that's true. That's a simple answer. But there's several aspects of this. Because you see, salvation is not only a future occurrence. Salvation affects the past. It affects the present and the future. So when we enter into eternity, which happens when we are born again by the Spirit. So it begins in this life. When we enter into eternity, we escape three things. First, sin's penalty through justification. Are we perfect? Let me find a likely person here. Who wants to answer this? Come on, Roland, you're never hesitant. No, you are perfect. You must be perfect to inherit heaven. I set you up, didn't I? (laughs) You can't enter heaven apart from being perfect. But as a practical matter, are any of us perfect? Can we get become perfect? In this life, will you? No. 
So we avoid sin's penalty by being justified. And what that means is declared innocent by God. God is the judge and he can declare us completely innocent, perfect, free, clean, pure, because the sentence that was due all of our many sins, every individual one was carried out against Jesus on the cross of Calvary. You can't go to heaven with one sin. They all have to be paid. We also escape sin's power through sanctification. By the strength of the Holy Spirit within, we are delivered from sin's ability to control us. But it does occur progressively over time. So if, if we're called in some sin and we say, well, I can't help myself, is that true for a believer? Come on, y'all, give me some bold answers. It isn't true. If you're born again, greater is he within you than he who is in the world. So we don't have excuses for our sin, except our own willingness to sin, our own stubbornness to repent. You see that? We're also saved from sin's presence through glorification. In heaven, there will be no sin, no suffering, no disappointment, no regrets, no depression, no guilt, no shame, no more aging. Which one do y'all like? <laughs> oh, you like all of them, do you? Good. You see, salvation frees us from condemnation, but it also frees us from control by sin. So if there's something that you know is going on in your life and it's stuck in you, you got to deal with it because you have the resource in the Holy Spirit to flee from it. It's okay to need some help, but you got to get in touch with that power that's in the Spirit of God. John 10, 10. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. See, some of us would think, okay, if Jesus had to suffer that much for us, then he's gonna make us suffer a little bit. Some of you have that thinking in your mind. When something goes wrong, you think you're being punished. That's not from God. A good shepherd desired to provide his sheep the greenest of grass, the freshest of water. And Jesus desires to save us, then to care for us and provide us the best that life has to offer. You saw a minute ago, I read and, and the sheep would, would follow the shepherd and then they would have the freedom to come and go. Because you see, these Pharisees were locking people down and told them there, essentially there is no freedom in God and they lived in fear that they would ever offend God in any way. But a good shepherd 
cares for the sheep and knows their sheep and provides all that life has to offer. All, and not, not, not just merely trying to force us to obey. Some of us have the wrong view of the good shepherd. We see him as punitive. You know what? That's out of your childhood. That's out of your past experience. That neglect, that deprivation, that criticism. That's not the good shepherd. You need to ask the spirit of God to show you that and heal you from that. I mean, think about it this way. A mother doesn't feel that way about her children. Why would Christ feel that way? I mean, I know so many of you, and without exception, you want your children's lives to be better than your life. Is that true? Sometimes you have a hard time restraining yourself in healthy ways. But those of you who have really suffered, you don't want your children to suffer. then why would we think our good shepherd wants us to suffer? The shepherd for the flock, you see, cares for his sheep. Look at this passage, how he sees us though. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arm, holding them close to his heart. Isn't this a beautiful picture? He's carrying the, the lamb and all the lamb wants to do is get away. You ever act like that? What was that back there, Susan? That's a child for you. That's right. Sheep need a shepherd to lead them to pasture and water, to defend them from danger, to care for them. Each evening when the sheep would be brought back from the field, returned to the fold and the enclosure, the shepherd would examine every sheep to inspect them, to pull burrs from their wool, to anoint those that had gotten scratched or bitten or wounded somehow with oil. Sounds like a mother, doesn't it? You know, I remember my mother would always inspect me my mother passed more than a year ago. Of course, my mother would say, I don't know how a child can get as dirty as you do. Because <laughs> literally, I would be dirty inside my blue jeans on the, against my skin. So it was, she thought it was magical. And then would scrub me down. But that's the way mothers care but how much sweeter, kinder, cons more consistent is the good shepherd? So if you wonder whether he cares for you, most of us had a mother that cared for us, at least to the best she could. The good shepherd sacrifices himself. Chapter 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep 
because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for their money and doesn't really care about the sheep. Now there were dangers associated with sheep herding. As, as you said, David fought what kind of animals? A lion and a bear. Shepherds would fight predators. Shepherds would risk injury to defend and protect their sheep. But no shepherd was willing to die for a sheep. A person who cared for the sheep for pay, it was just a job, in fact, would run whenever he was threatened. And this included the Pharisees who used the people to provide them prominence and a position of authority, who exploited the people and didn't care about them. I mean, we see this with celebrities. You know, it tickles me when these celebrities, you know, I'll say, oh, I love my fans, but don't you get anywhere near me. (laughs) Jesus planned to die in his capacity as shepherd because of his love. Verse 17, the father loves me. I'm skipping down to 17 and we'll come back. Because I sacrificed my life so that I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again. For this is what the Father has commanded. See, Jesus knew that what we needed was not a teacher not even an encourager and not a guide because we couldn't follow. Jesus knew we needed a substitute to die for our sins. See, we didn't need a little improvement. We didn't need a little coaching. We needed someone to take our place and sacrifice for all our failings. Jesus surrendered his life willingly. He wasn't forced into an unexpected death. He he didn't die as a martyr whose life was snatched away from him against his will. But because of Jesus' sacrifice, look at the effect on us, 1 John. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. Has Jesus sacrificed for you? How many of you know that Jesus has sacrificed for you? Hold them up a minute. I want to see who knows that. Okay, because y'all know I'm coming with this. So who are you sacrificing for? Who are you giving to? You know, I've asked you, would you help to support these children in India? I want to ask you to sacrifice $20 a month. You say, well, why are there so many? Well, because untouchables are 25% of the population in India. Now, there are Christians there, but it's 2.3% of the population. And not every Hindu is is, uh, oppositional toward Christians. There are militant Hindus 
um, and there's some, some militant Muslims. But there, it's not all that all hate them. But they're great needs because they have no education. They really can only do jobs like managing sewer systems and, and clean up. And you say, there's too many. Well, there's not too many for us to help, is there? There's not too many for us to help. We're over, we have over 300 bags covered. We've got a ways to go, but I'm asking you. Christ sacrificed for you. Will you sacrifice through set free? You know, you mothers understand sacrifice. You understand laying down your life to protect your children. You protect them from unsafe situations. You protect them from perilous people. You protect them from dangerous influences. You say, well, it doesn't require my death. No, but it requires the death of your day off. It requires the death of doing what you want to do. You know, I remember my dear mother worked full time, cooked every night, washed clothes until midnight, fell in the bed, same thing tomorrow. Clean the house on Saturday. Some of you are working like that. And let me tell you this. Your small children don't appreciate it. I never did. But God does. He sees it. And he appreciates it. You are sacrificing your fun, but you are shaping lives. Your children didn't live what you lived. But her children aren't even going to live what she lived. Look what you're doing. God sees it. The shepherd for the flock seeks his sheep. Verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. Just as my father knows me and I know my father, the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. Jewish shepherds had small flocks. So they knew each sheep individually. They were familiar with each sheep's ways and habits. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, if you have more than one dog, they're all different. And children certainly are all different. And, and perhaps they were even given names or it may be that it just means identity. Because John 10, go back up to verse three and I'll repeat this passage again. It's fascinating. The gatekeeper opens a gate for them. The sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And after he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them and they follow him because they know his voice. Sometimes the flocks of several shepherds would be kept together in an enclosure. And how would they separate them? Each shepherd would call his flock and the flock would know his voice and separate from the others and follow the shepherd out. Jesus knows his sheep and his sheep know him. When he calls to his sheep, they come, they follow because there's a relationship that's personal and familiar. If you belong to him, Jesus knows your name. 
He knows your nature. He knows your needs. In fact, there is nothing about you he doesn't know. He's seen things you aren't aware of. And still, he loves you completely and accepts you totally. Christianity is not accepting a particular set of beliefs. It's not adhering to a list of acceptable behaviors. Christianity is knowing a person. But it's also being known by him. John 10, 16 says, I have other sheep who are not of this sheepfold and I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Do you know who those two different groups are? It's the Jews and Gentiles. And, and the gospel hadn't even gone to the Gentiles yet, but he had a sheep among them and he knew when he called, they would come. You remember when Jesus called you? And remember when you came? Jesus, our good shepherd knows us. And when he calls us by name, we will follow. If you don't follow, you have to ask, do I know him and does he know me? 1 Peter 2.25 says this, once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. Is Jesus your protective shepherd? Do you know him? Do you follow his voice? You know, if you say, I don't know about all this, that doesn't really ring true of me. Counselors, you come on up. They'll be here. They'll be here to talk with you, to pray with you. If you're struggling physically or emotionally, they'll be happy to anoint you with oil and pray. We do see healing. We don't see healing every time, but we do see what is miraculous healing. Miraculous for us, never miraculous for God. So they'll be here as long as you need for them to. Father, we thank you that you're a good shepherd even when we're not good sheep. Even when we're stubborn and want to go our own way and get ourselves into trouble, you still come and find us. You bring us back. We thank you, Lord, that you're the gate through which we have access and you're the shepherd through which we gain care. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Don't forget to call your mama. Thank you for coming. Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience transformed life. One of the ways that you can do that is by getting connected here at Brookwood. If you would like to know more about the many ways that you can connect with other Christians, or if you just have questions about who we are, you can email us at connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call us at 864-688-8326. You can also find our past messages on our website or on our Brookwood app. Thank you so much for listening and have a blessed day. Still